Welcome back to the first 1-0 edition of Dear Old State of 2020. I am the athletic college football editor, Matt Brown, joined by the Athletics Penn State writer, Audrey Snyder. Audrey, Penn State has won a game. We have is, positive things to talk about. How are you feeling got, after Thanksgiving? You know, we've got some new storylines, Matt. That's always uh, always good, always welcome to appreciate needed. it. It feels like we've been doing the same podcast for five weeks. Yes. One in five is easier to talk about than 0 and 6. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. I think uh, Michael Mennett said it best Saturday as Penn State was hopping on Zoom as they were getting ready to hop on the bus and hop on the plane out of there. He said this team just desperately needed a win. Uh, yeah, they absolutely did. 27-17 in the big house. And I think, Matt, you know, there's so much you can nitpick with this team. Uh, we all know that. That's no secret. That's been the theme of the year up to this point. And even in this game, it was not the most beautiful game by any stretch of the imagination. This is a very flawed Michigan team as well, a team that has plenty of its own shortcomings. But I don't want to downplay the importance of Penn State, with all of their personnel limitations, starting a true freshman running back, continue, continuing to start a true freshman receiver, coming starting out of the two tight end sets so you could get uh, Brenton Strange and true freshman tight end Theo Johnson on the field. Winning with all of that out there, with Sean Clifford not turning the ball over, having a little bit of a bounce back game, even though they didn't ask him to push the ball down the field, that's important. To me, this was a sign of And I've said it on here before, this is a team that I didn't get the impression that they quit, that they packed it in. I mean, yes, there have been times where it's looked a little dicey, uh, to put it kindly, and the energy hasn't looked there on the sideline. But this was, for all of the shortcomings, to get a win in the big house, a place where Penn State hasn't won since 2009. It matters. Anytime you're Penn State, you beat Michigan, there's a little something extra to that. For sure. And, you know... I mean, look, Penn State would have taken a 3 nothing win, a 6-4 to win, a 50 to nothing oh, win. Yeah. Would have taken any kind of win. But to do it, you know, 10 points on the road against Michigan, you know, could have been 17 if they weren't kneeling at the end. Uh, you know, first win there since 2009, place that they'd only won three times previously. You know, you add it all up. I don't care how good Michigan is. It doesn't matter at this point. Penn State was 0-5. Like, it doesn't matter how good Michigan is. They came out. They played their most complete game of the year. It wasn't like they were ridiculously explosive on offense or anything like that. They just did what they needed to do to win the game. They were the better team. They, you know, the defense played a complete game. The offense didn't make mistakes and leaned on some young players. So, you know, what more can you ask for? It wasn't the prettiest game. No, you know, they weren't perfect. You know, Sean Clifford averaged like under six yards per attempt. Like there's plenty of flaws to point out, but it doesn't matter. They needed to win a game and they finally did. So, you know, kudos to Penn State for, you know, yeah, as you said, not quitting for, you know, going into a, a another, you know, an, an empty stadium and, it, you know, could sleepwalk through the season's over basically at 0-5, but they didn't do that. And now, you know, they have an opportunity to turn things around and at least feel much better about how they end the season than how they started it. And I think too, Matt, it's a matter of, Right now, you have fewer issues than Michigan. And that's worth something when you look at it. It is. You know, Jim Harbaugh, what they're going to do with his contract or what maybe they're not going to do with his contract, that is the storyline for the Wolverines. Austin Meek and I uh, wrote about it last week on our roundtable piece on Friday on The Athletic. And that's, you know, you're looking at two teams with a lot of issues right now. So the fact that you're the team with the lesser of issues at one and five, Michigan's now two and four, that matters. Uh, And so I think, too, I mean, you can – this – 
youth movement, which is, it's also interesting because James Franklin was asked point blank at least twice last week about playing younger players and essentially with this season being a lost cause, if he wanted to purposely do that. And he kept saying, no, like we're, we're playing to win the game. But it just so happens this is where you're at at a few positions where you have to play some of these younger guys like a Kevon Lee, like a Caden Wallace. Right, they have no choice. Nice what else are they going to do at running back? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> that's all the available. Thing. I mean, you're you're down to two true freshmen. Now, we will see this week, uh, of course, Rutgers week, what the status is with Devin Ford. Um, he was, of course, banged up at the Iowa game, didn't finish that game, and then did not make the trip to Ann Arbor. The ABC broadcast reported um, that there was a death in Ford's family, so he was not with the team. So we'll see moving forward kind of what his status is. But, yeah, I mean, you have no options at some of these positions. This is what you have. Uh, but And I think, Matt, this is where if fans are still glued into this season, and I know many of them are, we've waited long enough to like have football to actually talk about. So this is what you get. You can at least watch now, whether you like it or not. Um, you have to point to some of these younger guys as bright spots moving forward. You know, what Kevon Lee is able to do. Um, I was really, really impressed with him. Of course, he's backed up by his classmate, Keziah Holmes, Parker Washington. I, I think that's another maybe underrated part to the season because there's been so many flaws that Parker Washington is your number two receiver. Like there's no question about that. And I think that's a testament to him. It's also the other guys that they've been waiting on to kind of step up. It hasn't happened and it hasn't happened for a few years. So kudos to Parker Washington coming in, making all kinds of plays yet again. Uh, This is a guy that fans have to be very excited about. I think it's everybody compares him to KJ Hamler, but I don't know. By the time things are said and done here um, with Parker Washington, his collegiate career, I think he's going to surpass KJ Hamler in some categories. I think. I think he's more of a, you know, if we want to make comparisons, he's more of a Deshaun Hamilton type. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, uh, his body type is kind of unique, but just, you know, I think in terms of what he can do as a possession receiver and after the catch and, and as a kind of a refined route runner, I think that's probably the guy who's, you know, recently who he's going to most compare to. And we saw Penn state just make an effort to, to get him the ball early. You know, Jahan Dotson had a tough matchup on Saturday and, and, you know, they didn't force the ball to Dotson. And, you know, we've seen Sean Clifford force the ball to, to, to KJ Hamler before, certainly to Pat Fryermuth before and said they, you know, went away from Dotson and it was weird to see Dotson not involved for stretches, but they had a guy who stepped up and, and made plays when they needed. So nine catches for 93 yards for Washington and, you know, Dotson, did you know even for a quiet game he stepped up and had two really 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 big catches on third downs on that crucial touchdown drive in the fourth quarter that extended the lead back from from three to ten so you know there's still lots of questions about the receiving core you know Keandre Lambert Smith clearly you know still a work in progress we didn't see much of him on Saturday as Isaac Glutz stepped up and caught three passes and you know Daniel George not really getting open and we haven't seen barely anything of TJ Jones and, and uh, Cancel and Brown who were yeah. listed on the participation report, but I'll be honest, I do not recall seeing them. Um, so it, it's basically two guys right now that Penn State can count on at wide receiver, but for, one of them's a freshman. So that certainly bodes well for the future and can't, can't say enough about what Park Washington is doing. And I think too, eventually they're going to get these tight ends going with Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson. You're going to get them. We, you know, no tight end had a catch on Saturday, but these guys are going to get involved in the thing that, you know, you they do block. Like about it. I was going to say, yes, like they are blocking really well. And that's James Franklin made mention after the game about, 
you know, he was pleased with some of these guys doing the dirty work. That's what he means. I mean, it's, it's Theo Johnson kicking out for nice blocks. You know, it's Brenton Strange in there doing the same thing. I mean, if you go back and watch the Kevon Lee, I believe it was the 24-yard run, I want to say. It was late. Yeah, it was the, the run late in the game. Maybe it was the 23-yarder because um, I believe 24 was the touchdown. The 23-yard run. Uh, watch Theo Johnson. You know, watch him make that block. Watch Kevon Lee's patience to allow that, you know, him to cut inside and then bounce it all the way back outside. Uh, these are important moments in what seems like, you know, people say, oh, okay, well, one and five, what's, what does it matter? These are the good signs that you want to see moving forward for your team. I mean, it's these young guys, this experience is going to bode well down the road. Yes, you'd certainly rather have Pat Fryermuth on the field now, but that's gone. You know, that ship has sailed. And I do think in a weird roundabout way, um, these are good things for Penn State. You know, this isn't the year anybody expected. You didn't expect to not have all these running backs available, but now look at what you can do. Look at what you can build. Um, I don't know, Matt. I That backfield moving forward, which again, it's, it's November, late November, almost December. This is the time where we like to say, okay, what's that pecking order look like at running back? I have no idea what it looks like early on next season, assuming no. <laughs> they'll have Noah Kane, Devin Ford, Kevon Lee, and Keziah Holmes. Um, by the way, good thing Penn State did sign two running backs in last year's <laughs> class because they certainly needed both of them on Saturday. So, you know, I, there's so much you can point to in this game where there were positives. And the offensive line, Matt, for as much as they've struggled this year, uh, this was a step in the right direction for the offensive line. Uh, I mean, this is... Michigan, you always, I understand this is not the best Michigan by any team or defense by any stretch of the imagination, but your offensive line didn't get pushed around this week. And that to me is another good sign. And you saw some progress where you had CJ Thorpe in, you had Drew Scruggs in, uh, and plays were working well. They were running the ball. Uh, Sean Clifford had that one sack, which he held on the ball for a really long time. So this to me was, hey, things are starting to work. Only one sack and only gave up two tackles for loss as well. Uh, finally, you know, they really, it's just a solid all around game. You know, it was the most physical Penn state has, has looked, you know, they rushed for season high, uh, 200 and about 60 yards, I believe to 54 and, you know, Clifford and they, they early on too, we haven't really talked about Sean Clifford early on. They did not lean on the quarterback run the first couple drives, which is kind of nice to see. They kind of established Kevon Lee. They, they, that was something different. And then they ended up going to it and, and it worked. You know, Sean Clifford had a few nice runs, uh, but it was just, you know, they, they managed the game on offense. They didn't try to do too much. Sean Clifford certainly didn't try to do too much. And, you know, they didn't have big plays in the passing game. The, their longest gains were uh, Washington at a 22 yarder, Lutz at a 16 yarder, Dotson at a 12 yarder, like, they didn't make plays down the field, but they didn't need to. They kind of just took what the defense gave them and, and were able to not force anything because they were able to pretty consistently run the ball. And Kevon Lee finished with 22 carries, 134 yards, 6.1 yards per carry. Clifford had 73 yards rushing. Holmes you know, only averaged 3.4 yards per rush, but on those 34 yards, he had a couple of nice plays where he had some yeah. nice spin moves, things like that. So, and I to want to correct myself, Matt. I want to correct myself. Brenton Strange did have one catch for four yards. So the tight there you go. Did have one, one catch. very memorable oh, yeah. four yard catch. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, the Sean Clifford thing to me, I thought it was when he had 
his legs working for him, right? We saw the the touchdown run was a great play. That to me was like, it was 2019 Sean Clifford. And after the game, we had a chance to talk to him, which was the first time we've spoken to him um, since he was benched. So, you know, I asked him what has really these last, what have these last two weeks been like for him? And he said, it's about doing whatever the team asks him to do. Then, you know, I mean, you can still see he's, upset about the way things have gone leading up to this point understandably so but uh telling moment in the post game where sean clifford i would say channeled his inner matt mcgloin uh clifford was asked uh if he's doubted himself at all this season and he gave a very blunt assessment he said i have not and will and will never doubt myself and the reporter followed up and said why not and he went on to say that he knows how hard he works he knows how hard this team's team works and he goes quote There's not one person or anybody who can tell me differently. It's just that I know the talent that we have, and I don't really care what anybody else has to say about it. End quote. So we got some fiery Sean Clifford afterward. Um, And I think you saw a lot of that on social media too. Uh, players kind of, I don't want to say going at fans, but there was a little back and forth between some of the older guys on this team and, you know, they counted us out and we won and this and that. Uh, it's just an interesting spot to be in because talking with the players, the coaches, the biggest thing is keeping this train moving forward. But I do think it's interesting because you've got, you know, these are not complete performances. This is not the kind of Sean Clifford that anybody expected to see. He's underachieved this year, no doubt. But you still have to figure out what you're getting from this Sean Clifford the rest of the season, because that is so important for 2021. Uh, so the fact that he doesn't doubt himself, uh, the fact that he's very, um, I don't know, how do I say it? Very bold about his belief in himself. It's athletics. It's a high level. I get it. Guys are going to have that. I think that comment maybe rubs some people the wrong way, maybe rubs some fans the wrong way. Um, but I get it. That's, this is the leader of your team. He's been questioned all year. Uh, so he's, he's going to come out and say things like that, but it was, it was an interesting post-game moment, but you know what? Credit to Sean Clifford for coming out and meeting with the media, which he's done several times this year. Uh, so we'll see Matt kind of how he bounces back moving forward. Um, I just, it's a good starting point. I mean, yes. it's, it's a way to regain confidence, to reassert himself. Again, 17 to 28, 163 yards was not some otherworldly performance by any stretch. But again, 79 rushing yards, 73 rushing yards, had a touchdown, uh, one sack, no interceptions. It's just they needed a game like this, a mistake, pretty much mistake-free, and to come out and, and win a game on the road, it's just – it's a burden off the shoulders under all of this pressure. And – there's still a long way to go, but it's just, again, it's like the slate is clean now. All right, you got to win, move forward, see if you can finish the year on a, on a high note. And certainly, you know, can't through all of it, can't say enough about his toughness and how he's hung in there against, you know, and, and even in losing the starting job last week, um, he's been a great team leader and certainly has not quit or anything close to that. It's been the opposite of that. So, you know, he's a guy you want to root for. And it was a good kind of, way to hit reset and kind of at least start getting back on the right track, even if there's still a long way to go. And that same confident Sean Clifford, that's the same guy that was last year. That was the same guy who was, you know, the high school recruit. Um, He's consistent with it. And that's kind of, you know, I think fans maybe see certain quotes or snippets and want to nitpick it, this and that. That's who this guy is. This is the guy 
during the Cotton Bowl. This is the guy now. It's, it's His temperament has been the same. Now, Matt, uh, for some of the things that I wasn't too crazy about on Saturday with this offense, um, we'll get to the clock management in a second. But the two-quarterback package with Will Levis is here to stay. Uh, James Franklin said afterward that you know he continues to say that they need to have both guys every week. Well, I think we now can understand the translation. When he says they need both guys to be ready, it means that the two-quarterback package is going to be part of, of this offense moving forward, which I wrote about it in the offseason. I thought this was something that could help them. Uh, I thought that this was a way you could get Will Levis involved. Some people, even people on the beat said, oh, this is a terrible idea. Why would they do this? Um, it's college football in 2020, and you have to kind of find ways to keep your backup quarterback engaged in games. So Penn State's doing that. However, um, it finally started working after the first it, one. <laughs> I was going to say that the first time to me, it was like, oh my God, this package is going to get absolutely destroyed and burned to the ground because you bring out Will Levis. Um, you, here's where you feel for Will Levis because he comes out. Now, up to this point, we've already had the Will Levis package result in a delay of game penalty in the Indiana game. He also had the fumble out of the Will Levis package in the the Indiana game. So he comes out on Saturday. It's fourth and one. Penn State decides they're going to make the switch. He comes out looking at the sideline. There's a false start on Kevon Lee. Um, Now, that then makes this a 49-yard field goal attempt. There also were 12 men on the field that Levis didn't see pre-snap on that fourth and one. Levis, you can watch on the replay, he's glued toward the sideline, not looking at the defense. That's a key moment. Uh, Had this game gone the other way, this is something that would be talked about much more. Again, a freshman moment from Kevon Lee with the false start. So it makes it a 49-yard field goal attempt. Jordan Stout missed that one by a mile, not even close. But Penn State goes back to the Levis package later on in the game. Third and one, they bring him in. He picks up three yards. Then again, second and goal at the Michigan two, turns it into a two-yard touchdown run. And then at the end of the game, to help put this thing away, third and three, they bring in Levis, picks up three yards on a three-yard run. So they're using him at moments, but really the false start on Kevon Lee just made it look like, oh my gosh, it leads to a missed field goal. It made it look really bad again. That's not well, all Levis. It's like line up and give Kevon Lee the ball again. He was moving. The offense yeah. was moving the first couple of drives. It just felt like, why? Why again? Because it's we've seen it, you know, in the Indiana game, but also going back to when the Tommy Stevens package was just like sent, felt so forced and just wasn't working. And that's what it felt like. But we did see why, you know, again, as you said, the last three times he went in, we saw why they use it. You know, we've argued that they should be trying to take some hits away from Sean Clifford. So I get it. Um, I have an open mind going forward now. At least they finally got a few positives out of it. So, so when man, used correctly, it can, it can work and be useful, but I'll, I'll keep an open yeah. mind. <laughs> yeah, but in, in the point you make about, you know, momentum shifts and this and that, and then after that Kevon Lee false start, that's when we saw them go to Keziah Holmes, which I don't know. I interpret that as, hey, he jumped off sides. We want to, the false start penalty, you want to kind of, Make a bit of a statement there if you're the coaching staff. I don't know. I took it as just them doing their normal rotation. And, and that and that that's is the other part of it like. too. Um, I mean, that's kind of that's the other side of it. We don't know. James Franklin wasn't wasn't asked about it. And quite frankly, it did not matter enough to really warrant a question. But um, 
to me, the things that do warrant questions and that I still have questions about, and I know you ban still the have fade. about it. Yes, ban <laughs> the fade. And also uh, ban first, ban spiking the ball when you don't need to. Uh, yes, and I, we did not, it did not come up post-game. I wish it would have. Um, I have every intention of asking about it Tuesday if it's not asked about by the time I get my question in. But Penn State in the red zone this year, the red zone scoring percentage 68%, 13th in the Big Ten. Uh, They've scored 11 touchdowns and six field goals on 25 red zone attempts. Okay, so we know it's not good. So we see Penn State come out with another head-scratching sequence, which feels like, Matt, we have at least one of these every week to discuss. First and goal at the five, 36 36 seconds left, and one timeout in the first half. And what do you do? First down, Sean Clifford spikes the ball. I, I I don't know if this was Sean's doing on his own. I don't know if they're telling him to spike it. I have no idea. Um, however, your analytics department is looking at this. I'd be a little curious about that. So then they come out second down. You've already wiped one opportunity off the board with the spike. Uh, the incomplete pass on a fade intended for Jahan Dotson. And Matt, share with our fine listeners some stats you've pulled about Penn State in the fade this season, please. So according to Sports Info Solutions, Penn State has thrown eight red zone fades this year, and they've completed one of them. And those eight fades are tied for the most among Power 5 teams and most attempted fades in the red zone. And again, they are one for eight on such passes. So not good. And here's the point I want to make about this is that I disagree with both the fade. I disagree with they, – they did not need to spike the ball. But you can do one of those things, and it wouldn't be terrible. If they – if Sean Clifford got to the line when it was first and five, and instead of spiking the ball, threw a fade, that would be fine. It's a quick play. They wouldn't have to – you know, it would just be a quick decision. Hey, we're going to do this, get up to the line. It basically acts as a spike or it's a touchdown. And – so I would be fine with the fade on first down because it's kind of it's kind of low risk, low reward because mm-hmm. you know it's obviously they don't compete a high percentage of them, but usually you're not going to throw an interception, so it's going to stop. It's a quick play; it doesn't take a lot to call the play. So if they want to get up and stop the clock, just throw the fade then, and then you still have three down, a couple downs to work with. But they to spike the ball and then basically a fade at this point is basically like a spike because they don't complete yeah. them ever. And it stops the clock. <laughs> like, so if you're going to just run the fade on first down, whatever, it's not high percentage, but that's when you do it. Cause it'll stop the clock and Hey, maybe you get a touchdown or it's just no harm to foul. You run the next two plays. So it was just the sequence of events to do both. It was just like, all right, you made the mistake by spiking the ball. Don't complicate it by then, then running a low percentage pass that was incomplete. And then suddenly it's third down. You're clearly going to pass the ball. And Clifford is forced to run to throw it away. So it was just, and then they take the timeout with him to halftime. So first down, they also could have run the ball. I mean, every play should have been available because right. Because of the timeout. And so, yeah, third down, you throw the ball away, but the other part of this, Matt, so you, you get the field goal there, but you still had 17 seconds left, which granted it's Michigan. They didn't do anything with it, but in another game, that could have been something where you say, Oh, you know what? You just turn the ball over 17 seconds left. Um, what I wonder about this, I mean, because Penn State drill, every team 
they drill these scenarios a million times throughout the season, right? Their red zone work, and they put so much emphasis on it and all these things. Do the fades work in practice? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, we're not there. We're, we're, we don't see it, but I, I'm genuinely curious about that. Um, because as we mentioned on here before on Dear Old State with the blended playbook, this was the thing that one of the things that fans took issue with last year. I guess now, Matt, if we're looking for a silver lining with the use of the fade, uh, it's that at least you intended it for John Dotson. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, they really, the red zone work has been a disaster. Um, and I will go back to a, a previous point when I had mentioned the Jordan Stout badly missed 49 yard field goal. It was a very rough day uh, for Penn State's specialist. Uh, miss, he missed the 49-yard field goal, which was interesting because against Maryland, it was Jake Pinniger who had the 49-yard field goal attempt and missed. And I asked James Franklin that week, yeah, I thought, you know, it was Stout beyond 49. Why is it Pinniger? And apparently now it is or was maybe Stout beyond 49 again. But who the heck knows what that means moving forward, because now they've both missed one in a game of 49 yards. But for Stout, uh, the issues were more than just a field goal. He sent two kickoffs out of bounds and averaged 37.5 yards on four punts. So he made, you know, Pinnaker makes two short field goals, but the special teams this year has been a letdown after how they played last year. Now, yes, Drew Hartlob recovers that muffed punt, which set us up for that bizarre red zone sequence that we just outlined. Uh, but they've got some issues. When you have two scholarship specialists and your results are this wildly inconsistent, something has to change there. So I just wanted wanted to mention that uh, while it was fresh in my brain because – not a banner day uh, for Jordan Stout, who we know has the big leg, right? They're asking him to do a lot of things this year uh, with kicking off, with punts, with field goals, the long field goals, with holding, all these types of things. So very curious to see how he bounces back. And before we go, move on to defense, I will belabor the point with fades because I looked up SIS goes back to uh, go for it. Yeah. To 2016. So since 2016, Penn State is five of 24 when attempting fades in the red zone for uh, uh, five touchdowns, no interceptions, crucial, but five of 24. So it serves a purpose sometimes, low risk, whatever, maybe stop the clock, but it just doesn't work ever. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and those those numbers are really, I mean, that to me is, and again, Matt, it just goes back to, I, I don't know, what they're thinking sometimes. I don't know what. And it's not just a Penn State thing. Like it's just an over-reliance like around the country on on these. And everybody freaks out about it on Twitter and justifiably so because it just, unless you have a really good quarterback and a really good big receiver. Yeah. It doesn't usually work. But, and I think we all think back to the KJ Hamler fade at Minnesota last year and how that call got crucified and why are you doing it? And great receiver. He's also five foot nine. (laughs) <laughs> yes. And then we saw it earlier this year with Parker Washington. And it's, to me, that's one of those things that's just wacky and bizarre uh, for whatever reason teams love it. But the fan response was tremendous. I was in state college. I opted not to, to drive out to Ann Arbor and watching the fan response on Twitter. It was like everyone knew what was coming, <laughs> which I think is also kind of speaks to the predictability piece of the, this offense right now too. But uh, it was like when Will Levis came in, Sean Clifford got banged up that third and 11 Levis comes in. 
and he takes off running the ball and it's like okay are we like are you not gonna try to let you know see what he can do maybe move the ball it's like i know he's the backup again but he, he's still allowed to throw a pass yeah <laughs> it, it was so weird and it's just it, it was a moment to me the fate is kind of like that when you see levis coming in you're like all right they're gonna run it and they have made so much of that package, Matt, where James Franklin had said a couple times this year that, you know, one of the benefits to having Levis in that package is that he's got that big arm and that, you know, the backup quarterback isn't always going to run out of this package and he's going to throw it. Well, we're still waiting to see that. So I guess that's kind of something we can maybe put in the back pocket for what to watch for against Rutgers. But yeah, um, so some good things for the offense, some puzzling things as we're accustomed to. But the Penn State defense, Matt, uh, some new new starters there. This was the third game without Tariq Castro-Fields. Uh, he's been a game-time decision now for three weeks, which is interesting because he's warmed up but hasn't played. Uh, Keaton Ellis also had been replacing Tariq Castro-Fields as, as the starter. Ellis uh, also did not uh, was not available, presumably did not play. So Marquise Wilson gets the start opposite Joey Porter Jr. So again, you've got a redshirt freshman and a sophomore out there uh, for your starting corners, which is something long-term, something that uh, you can certainly build off of. But it was a better day uh, for the for the Penn State defense, which it certainly needed a better day. It's a great day for the Penn State defense. I mean, look, Michigan has its own problems, we, mm-hmm. we know, and Cade McNamara, like who knows what happens if – Cade McNamara doesn't get hurt. He was clearly, you know, dealing with the shoulder problem pretty much the whole game. But fact remains that Penn State gave up 286 yards of offense, gave up 17 points. That's even with uh, Son Haskins had a 59-yard run, and there was that A.J. Henning made had that 28-yard catch that was just a ridiculous catch. Yeah, over the other than that, Penn State really didn't give up anything. So, you know. I believe 126 yards in the second half, I think, right? So it was a complete effort. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, we've been very critical of the Penn State defense, and it's oftentimes been warranted. They've been inconsistent. They've kind of come out looking unprepared early in games. They've, you know, been out of position, struggled to tackle. But, you know, right now they've given up uh, under 400 yards in three of six – in four of six games. Under 400 yards in four of six games. Under 300 yards in three of six games, actually – Indiana, Nebraska, and Michigan. So they've had some the Indiana game. They mostly played well. Yeah. So, you know, crunch time. And we've, you know, we've talked about that game ad nauseum. You know, Nebraska game, they played really well in the second half. And now Michigan, it was kind of from start to finish outside of, you know, again, they gave up a couple of big plays, but that's okay. It's going to happen. It's just don't, you know, let it get out of control. And they had a couple big stops and, you know, they stopped Michigan on uh, fourth and two on the first drive. And then on Michigan's last drive, you know, that they have the weird uh, penalty on Shaka Tony and they come back and get a fourth down stop four plays later. So the defense really, you know, kind of stood tall, played well at the line of scrimmage. You know, I think Shaka Tony had a good game. We saw some flashes from Hakeem Beeman. Mm -hmm. Um, Brandon Smith probably played his best game of the year. He's been really up and down this year. So overall, you know, defense has taken a lot of heat, but they gave up 17 points gave up under 300 yards, gave, you know, beyond a couple chunk plays, they, they really, really showed out and uh, you know, responded to adversity at a couple points too. So all credit to the, to the Penn state defense. We've knocked them a lot the first five games. Mm-hmm. So worth the praise this time. Yeah. And I think to you, you mentioned Hakeem Beeman and he's somebody who I wrote about on my Monday final thoughts piece up on the athletic. Uh, to me, this is a guy who, 
keeps flashing, right? Like you keep, yeah. you, you see little spurts every week from Beeman that should get people excited about the future. Uh, we saw that Saturday. I thought Lance Dixon, third and one, he comes in with a real nice stop for Penn State as well. So these are guys that, you know, they're going to have to take on bigger roles next year for sure. But these moments, these little learning opportunities uh, are, are really critical to their development. And I, I do think um, going back to that bizarre batted illegal batting penalty on Chaka Tony, which apparently which, was the wrong call. <laughs> I, 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 man, I was sitting there on the couch. I just assumed it was right in the moment. Like, well, I haven't seen this before, but they must, they must know what they're talking about. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, and I guess it was a matter of trying to, if he batted it forward as opposed to, I, I, it was a mess well, here. If, if people what's, didn't, yeah, what's they the probably rule? didn't. So yeah, not most people aren't on Twitter, but Terry McCauley, who is a, former NFL mm-hmm. referee who, who is the uh, NBC Sunday Night Football rules analyst. He tweeted yesterday to cover, to further complicate this. He said, quote, <laughs> I've seen the video of the illegal bat in Michigan Penn State and the call is absolutely incorrect. The player must clearly bat the ball forward for it to be a foul. He does not. He swipes at the ball in a sideways motion to keep it in bounds. This is not a foul. So <laughs> I just assumed it was the right call. Apparently it was not. So it was something that like we never see it was like Shaka Tony. It was even like, well, why would that be illegal anyway? Like Shaka Tony made a great hustle right. play, a smart hustle play. It seemed like, and it turns out it was should have been legal. So should have been kind of a game changing play for Penn State. It was not. But again, kudos to Penn State. They could have got you know down, given up a big play after that. They didn't. They, they had that fourth and one. Michigan stop. got a fourth down and, and end the game. So you know, and that the type of was game where Penn State when they needed to respond and make a play, they did. You know, breaks went their way most of the game finally until that, but they still <laughs> responded. So, and that was something where James Franklin even said it. You know, that particular call would have given this team problems other weeks, right? They would yeah. have gotten down, they would have folded. But the fact that they were able to respond, stay on the fields, you know, force force miss force Michigan into that fourth and one, and then get the stop. That was huge. To me, that's one of those moments that, again, speaks to a team that, despite the record, hasn't quit. Um, A team that, when things are going wrong, they haven't, you know, packed it in. One of the kind of bizarre things that did come out of this game, we saw two false start penalties from Jason Oway. Uh, Offside penalties. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, those are things that have have to get corrected. Chaka Tony also had one uh, as well, but these are the things that, I'm sure drive the coaching staff a little crazy. And it's been a really interesting year for OA. I mean, you look at everybody physically expects that this guy is just going to be a superstar and he very well could still be. It's just that he gets pressure, but the sacks just haven't been there. So it's kind of, you know, sacks aren't always the most indicative metric when looking at his performance, but, you know, here you here we are uh, six games into this thing. He still does not have a sack, but he's generating pressure. So kind of take that for what it's worth. Uh, Disa Isaac, again, was in there. Um, they got to, to me, it's also going to be interesting to see long-term um, what happens with Adisa Isaac. Or, Matt, if you're without both of these defensive ends in 2021, potentially, um, then what does, you know, what does the defense look like? Just something kind of keep an eye on looking uh, at this defense long-term, but. Well, one point on OA, just to put a stat behind Mm -hmm. this, uh, according to Sports Info Solutions, 
Quiddy Pay from Michigan is first in the conference in pre- total pressures, 28 total pressures this year. Jason Owe is second with 22, and uh, Shaka Tony has 16, which puts him in uh, seventh place. So, again, not necessarily finishing the job, but you know the defensive ends are showing up and at least getting after the quarterback a little bit. So it's sacks can be misleading, although, again, we've been waiting for Penn State to make some game-changing plays. That don't happen, but it's been mixed results, but I think the defensive ends overall are playing pretty well. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you look really the last two years, we've heard so much from James Franklin about, you know, we got to get a consistent pass rush and we have to do this. We have to do that. Um, It's been better. You know, there've been moments this year where it's definitely been better with those two guys than it has been in the past. Um, We mentioned Beeman flashing. I think that's also really important. And down the stretch too, somebody that, fans should be keeping an eye on is Judge Culpepper and kind of what's his development look like. Uh, we did hear from PJ Mustafer after the game. Uh, one of Mustafer's interesting comments, and James Franklin touched on this as well. Uh, the team will have a victory Monday dinner, which I don't know what they're serving. They don't know what they're serving because it hasn't happened yet this year. Uh, but PJ Mustafer said he was looking forward to eating four plates worth of a victory <laughs> meal. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and that's kind of one of those little things where James Franklin said this meal is going to be the most delicious thing that he has ever tasted. I do think uh, it was interesting, Franklin, after the game, uh, a reporter asked him just kind of casually, like, how are you doing? And he has stopped himself this year. It used to always be, I'm good, I'm good. This year, Franklin paused and he said, better, I'm doing better uh, because, you know, it's it's better now than it was at 0-5 for sure. But yeah, Matt, I think long term again, because I think that's the lens you have to, how you have to view the rest of the season with Penn State. To me, Daquan Hardy, you mentioned the, the pass that was completed over him. I mean, it's just a hell of a catch. I, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things, yeah. where you say, okay, whatever, but to see him, you know, bounce back on that bizarre play that ended up not working in Penn State's direction, that illegal batting penalty, but to see him in there um, to me was a really good sign because again, he's another young player, a redshirt freshman that they're going to need long-term. Uh, and he was, you know, definitely the kind of the forgotten guy. When you, you look about all of their young cornerbacks, uh, he was kind of the one that you didn't see last year. So it was easy to, to kind of forget about him. But to me, there's still, there's so much youth on that defense that you're going to have these good moments, but you're also going to have those moments where you're like, what in the world are they doing? Um, Marquise Wilson did miss a pretty, pretty bad tackle, but again, so many young faces on that, that defense that I just, you have to expect some of these up and down moments. Like there's really, there's nothing else you can do with it at this point. Well, let's spin things forward now to Penn state Rutgers, which is, Big game. Semi-interesting in some respects somehow. Um, Penn State is 28-2 and all-time against Rutgers. It's only two losses were the first ever meeting in 1918 amid the war and the pandemic. Uh, Great. In State College. <laughs> and then in, in 1988, which was Joe Paterno's only losing season until the early 2000s, was also a Rutgers win. Other than that, Penn State has not lost to Rutgers. The last, uh, since joining the Big Ten, since Rutgers joined the Big Ten in 2014, these scores have been 13 to 10, 28 to 3, 39 0, 35 6, 20 to 7, and 27 to 6. So Rutgers has not scored more than 10 points against Penn State since joining the Big Ten, which is pretty remarkable. 
Um, it's not like Penn State's offense has been fabulous against Rutgers. They, they really haven't, but it's just been like these mostly easy, uh, ugly kind of games. And so we'll see. Greg Schiano is back. Uh, Penn State has actually never – Greg Schiano, of course, a former Penn State assistant who's – Penn State never actually faced him when he was Rutgers head coach because they did not play between 1995 and 2014. So this will be a noon kickoff which we're all thankful for here. <laughs> that is wonderful news. Penn State opened as a nine and a half point favorite against Rutgers. Vegas has maintained some positivity toward Penn State. The line ended up being like even against Michigan and turns out they know what they're talking about. And uh, Rutgers though coming off of, they took Michigan's overtime of course, and now they beat Purdue this past weekend. So Rutgers actually has won multiple big 10 games, just clearly a little bit better. Um, Art, Art, uh, Art, Arter Sidkowski ended up starting that game with Noah Vidral out because of an injury. So we'll see what happens with Rutgers at the position this week. But they play hard. They're a little bit better on offense. Uh, so it's certainly not a pushover. Not that anybody would be a pushover for this Penn State team. So it'll be kind of an interesting matchup for the Lions. And Matt, too. I mean, Penn State, I'm, I'm looking at my, my inboxes filling up as, as I'm sitting here. Happy Cyber Monday, right? But uh, Kevon Lee was named the Big Ten Freshman of the Week. There you go. Uh, a few minutes ago. So. And that, to me, is is the interesting piece, too, yeah. um, because now you wonder. We don't know Devin Ford's availability, what that's going to be this week. But if Ford's available, um, I don't know if Lee starts. I don't really think it matters because both if both are available, both will play. Holmes will play as well. Uh, but I just want to see – more from Kevon Lee because that's he's earned the most carries. I feel like Devin Ford yeah. has flashed a little bit, but he's just not been a consistent performer. And Lee just seems like somebody more capable of kind of being physical and carrying the load, right? I mean, he certainly the build would think you know. I mean, he well, looks yeah. like he looks like a. I mean, he's a big running back, but he looks. He reminded like- me of Tony Hunt, is what I said on Twitter the other day. Who yeah. He's kind of like an underappreciated guy in Penn State history just because he wasn't as flashy. He's not a Saquon. He's, he wasn't an All-American. But he was a really productive runner who ran hard, moved the chains, had that bigger frame. And that's kind of that's what Keevan Lee reminds me of. And that's certainly a good comparison for him if, if, if it works out that way. The thing that screws me up every week, Matt, with both of these running backs between 24 and 26. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm always, I'm, I'm like, oh my God. And there were, and obviously Kevon Lee physically looks absolutely nothing like Miles Sanders, completely different builds. But when he took off uh, around the edge and was really patient on that one uh, run in the fourth quarter, I was like, oh my God, 24 with a nice patient run, bouncing it outside. We've seen this before. We saw some 26 spin moves on Saturday. So Yeah, it is very, to me, that's just the most bizarre thing is, you know, you're looking at 24 and 26 right now. And I still think of the other guys uh, who used to wear those numbers, but I just, I want to see what they do with this backfield. I also, it's very important to see what in the world Penn State gets out of Sean Clifford because of how up and down he's been this year. I'm sure we'll see the two quarterback package. I would think uh, because they keep saying that it's here to stay and they need both quarterbacks. Um, and again, this is, I know beginning of the year, we all, or most of us, definitely myself, I'm sure you as well, Matt looked at this as, Oh, this is going to be the developmental scrimmage game, <laughs> Penn state Rutgers. Cause that's what it was like. Yeah, I just read off the scores and usually it is. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that's not the case this year, but there still is that wildly important developmental aspect to it for Penn state. And, you know, the coaching staff is never going to come out and say, 
yeah, we want to see what some of these young guys can do because, you know, the season's in many regards a lost cause, but it is. I mean, this is this is where you have to figure out what you can consistently maybe get for some of these guys moving forward into 2021. Uh, so again, to me, I'm keeping an eye on the youth on Saturday and kind of this <laughs> continued youth movement, not intentionally, but just because of where Penn State is at, but also Sean Clifford watch. And, mm-hmm. you know, is, is he getting more comfortable with this offense now? Um, obviously the turnovers are the big story with him, but this offensive line, you know, is it a matter of, okay, maybe they really needed five plus games to try and get their footing with Phil Troutwine and some of these new techniques? I don't know. So to me, you can't just take one loss and, or I'm sorry, one win rather and say, okay, yeah, it's all everything's corrected because it's not, but it's an opportunity for you to build off of it. And exactly. PJ Mustafer made that point. He said, this has to be a momentum thing. It can't just be a one win and that's it. You have to keep building off of it. So for me, I mean, that's, that's what you keep an eye on on Saturday. Well, and I mean, I'm going to put on my James Franklin head coach cliche hat here. And oh boy. Say, Ban the fade. Oh, like, no. <laughs> yes. But also, you know, we, everybody talks about the one and O mindset like last year when they're undefeated and trying to make, you know, they're trying not to get ahead of themselves. And that mindset really applies right now too. Like either you were zero five, it was the worst turn in Penn state history. There's nothing you can do about that anymore. It's over. Like mm-hmm. all you can do is try to, okay, we're a team that faced that adversity started bad, but we finished strong, uh, showed flashes for the next year. Like that's all you can do. You can't look back. All the goals are gone. Just, they want a game now. Just keep trying to win the games in front of them. That's all they can do. And try to take some pot, try to take some positives out of each week, try to take some positives out of this season. And you know, every game left, well, there's only two currently scheduled games left, but they're both winnable. They're both losable based mm-hmm. on the way Penn state has played. And I was going to ask if you think they went out. Um, I think they do. Yeah. I, I now we'll see who their opponent is in the, in whatever that right, 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 is. Yeah. But I think they can. Uh, Michigan State with the big win. Big win, though. They've also had some big losses, too, (laughs) (laughs) including the Rutgers. So they're both winnable, both losable. Maybe the uh, more realistic thing is to say they split the last two games, which I think is quite possible. But I don't know. I'm going to give my score prediction here. I'm going to say Penn State continues its success against Rutgers. I think Rutgers – scores more than it has this is just it's a better coached more energized Rutgers team clearly and you know Greg Schiano seems to be the only coach who knows how to win games at Rutgers <laughs> so give him credit I think it's going to be a tricky matchup you know this is this is not a great Rutgers team but it's also not a great Penn State team obviously yeah. and it's a better Rutgers team than it's been uh, but I'm going to go Penn State 24 Rutgers 20. Okay so now I, I am eligible to pick Penn State to win a game now since they have finally won a game. So they're, so that, that's back in the equation. Um, and I will pick Penn State this week, Matt. I just, to me, it's, you've got some momentum. You know the now. positivity coming out of this podcast. Yeah, this, this, these Monday positivity vibes as I look out of my office window at my Christmas decorations and my lights um, on a rainy Monday in State College. But I just, I think that you have to keep this momentum going. And I think think they will be able to do that again this team is so inconsistent that if they lose I don't want people blowing up my inbox next week saying Audrey you know you picked them to win you idiot Um, because it's just such a difficult season to try and predict with this particular team but 
I saw enough Saturday in that empty big house uh, to lead me to believe that Penn State is more than capable of winning not only another game this year, but another game this week. So I'm going to go Penn State 24, Rutgers 17. Um, Again, it won't be the most aesthetically pleasing game uh, this week, but we'll keep watching. Many people will keep watching as well because – Heck, you made it this far. Like, I, I don't understand the people who are like, well, I can't watch Penn State the rest of the year. Like, I mean, why not? It's what else are we doing? Staying inside. Exactly. It's December, and now there's weird regular season football in December. <laughs> I say that part does feel very weird. The fact that we're past Thanksgiving, there's still three games left, um, which I know a lot of people keep asking what is that week nine game? Who are they going to play? Where is that game going to be played? Uh, we don't know any of that yet. It's a mystery, but this is a season in which we've had games literally scheduled like three days in advance. So Yeah, which <laughs> to me, say? Matt, I think that maybe uh, long-term makes future scheduling where they always say, oh, you know, these things have to be done years out in advance and this and that. Uh, this year maybe is uh, proving that that won't be the case uh, long-term. But regardless... We I don't know. Be, don't know, don't I, doubt AD's ability to schedule games 30 years in advance. Cause I, for I, one, am excited about Penn state Delaware in 2027. Oh God, help us. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just. Penn state actually hasn't been that bad about it. There's teams that have games scheduled for yeah. like 2035. So I was going to say, it's always fun when you look at the future schedules for some teams and like, you just kind of, I hit the drop down button and see how far they go. Uh, but again, that Penn State Virginia Tech game that didn't happen this year, that one was one I know a lot of people had circled. Hopefully, they reschedule that for time. you know 2027 or something like that. Over that Penn State Virginia home and home game, that second game that's never <laughs> happened. Uh, maybe we'll get to see that down the road. Um, but anything else to add, Matt, on this gloomy but yet positive Monday on Dear Old State? We have spent uh, Almost 50 minutes about talking about a uh, one in five football team. So I think we have covered yeah. <laughs> all but of the positivity if, for this if week. If you want to know more about this one in five football team and you listen to us, the Athletics Cyber Monday special is still running for new subscribers only. You can subscribe for a dollar a month through Monday, Monday, whenever you're listening to this. Yes. So. so through Monday, get it in before midnight. Um, the subscription gets you access to everything on the athletic plus dear old state, of course, but all of my written work, all of Matt's peaks behind the ballots and historical oddities, which we've had some, uh, we've had some really fun things this year with throwback Thursdays. So one subscription access to all of the city sites, the college football site, every league, every team that we cover. So a dollar a month, if you subscribe offer ends, the end of the day, Monday. So still time to get those in. So that will do it for us on Dear Old State. If you're feeling extra positive after Penn State winning a game, finally, please go ahead and, you know, rate, review us on on, on iTunes. We appreciate any positive thoughts, of course. And uh, we are happy to, we're, we're neutral observers here, but also it, it is a little bit easier to talk about a win. So way easier. <laughs> yeah. We'll see if Penn State can get another one against Rutgers. We will be here either way next Monday to talk about the Penn State Rutgers game. But uh, make sure to read Audrey's content on the Athletic all week. And uh, we will be back next Monday on Dear Old State. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>